The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to the Kotki Ride Home for Thursday, August 26th, 2021. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, the 7,200-year-old skeleton of a teenage girl is shaking up what we thought we knew about ancient human migration. The creative solution an Oregon hospital has come up with to support its overworked staff and what we can do to lessen their load. And a new startup that wants to disrupt the way we eat our meals, specifically by making all of our food look like identical little bricks. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. A recently analyzed fossil of a young woman who lived 7,200 years ago is shaking up what we've long since thought we knew about human migration and has provided the first genetic evidence of a certain ancient culture. So the Tualian people were hunter-gatherers who lived on the Indonesian island of Sulawesi before Neolithic farmers from mainland Asia migrated there about 3,500 years ago. Many artifacts and cave drawings from the Tualians have been found, the oldest of which date to around 8,000 years ago, but no artifacts have been found after the 5th century, a few thousand years after those Neolithic farmers arrived. In 2015, archaeologists working in Sulawesi found the skeleton of the roughly teenaged young woman that they named Brasek, a nickname for young princesses. A new analysis published this week in the journal Nature of Brasek's DNA has provided the first ever genetic evidence of the Tualian people, assumed in part because she was found alongside Tualian tools, and also represents among the only ancient human DNA ever from Wallacea, the group of islands Sulawesi is a part of. Now, one reason that ancient human DNA hasn't been found much there before, according to research co-lead Adam Brum from Griffith University, is that humid tropic climates are very unforgiving on DNA preservation. But as Berserk's remains were found inside a limestone cave, they were preserved a bit better than most other in the region. Brum also adds that we're finding so much in the northern latitudes of Europe and in America And the DNA analysis there is changing our understanding of early humans, of our origins, our migration, etc. And this discovery in Sulawesi, especially because of how rare it is, is now changing our conception of that story even more. Quoting The Guardian, Genetic sequencing showed she had a unique ancestral history not shared by anyone living today, nor any known humans from the ancient past, Brum said. Around half of Brasek's genetic makeup is similar to present-day indigenous Australians and people from New Guinea and the western Pacific Islands. Surprisingly, Brasek's DNA also showed an ancient link to East Asia, which challenges what was previously known about the timeline of migration to Wallacea. It's thought that the first time people with predominantly Asian ancestry entered the Wallacean region was around three or 4,000 years ago, when the first prehistoric Neolithic farmers entered the region from Taiwan, Brum said. If we're finding this Asian ancestry in a hunter-gatherer person who lived thousands of years before the arrival of these Neolithic people from Taiwan, then it suggests earlier movement of some population from Asia into this region, end quote. 
In the conversation, the research team adds that Brissix DNA also includes Denisovan DNA, Denisovans being an extinct subspecies of ancient humans, enough to indicate that, quote, the main meeting point between our species and Denisovans was in Sulawesi itself, or perhaps a nearby Wallacean island, end quote. And quoting further from the team in that article, our results mean we can now confirm existing presumptions the Tewalians were related to the first modern humans to enter Wallacea some 65,000 years ago or more. These seafaring hunter-gatherers were the ancestors of Aboriginal Australians. They were also the earliest inhabitants of Sahul. The supercontinent that emerged during the Pleistocene Ice Age when global sea levels fell, exposing a land bridge between Australia and New Guinea. To reach Sahul, these pioneering humans made ocean crossings through Wallacea, but little about their journeys is known. It is conceivable the ancestors of Bersek were among the first people to reach Wallacea. Instead of island hopping to Sahul, however, they remained in Sulawesi. End quote. What's truly remarkable, as the researchers emphasize, is just how little we actually know about this region of the world when it comes to human origins. With advances in DNA analysis, we've been learning a ton recently, but those findings are not equal across the world, and broad assumptions sometimes get made based on findings in one region, as Brahm addressed. That so much was able to be gleaned from just one fossil is incredible. Think how much more we don't know because so much ancient DNA has been lost. As Science Alert said, quote, We need far more genetic evidence before we can begin to properly trace the history of human migration across Asia-Pacific. Bersek, after all, was just one woman. End quote. Alright, so this news story is good in the way that it's a company supporting the mental health of their employees in any creative way they can, but horrible in terms of just, like, the whole state of the world right now. The Salem Hospital in Oregon has set up a room filled with dinner plates where healthcare workers can go to smash them. A rage room, basically. Lisa, a nurse in the hospital's ICU, told the Associated Press, quote, We put on safety glasses and we took plates and we shattered them. I kept going back. I kept going back and they told me I had enough turns. End quote. I mean, I'm glad they're getting an outlet and that the hospital's wellness department is looking out for them. The department also recommends yoga and deep breathing, among other strategies for stress relief. But dang, did this really drive home the idea that our healthcare workers are burned out. As Upworthy said, quote, Throwing a plate at a wall is a far better option than throwing a bedpan at a patient, and controlled acts of destruction may prevent a doctor or nurse at their wit's end from taking out their anger and exhaustion in an unhealthy way, but seriously, this is what we've come to? End quote. Healthcare workers have been dealing with overflowing hospitals, a shortage of protective equipment, fears for their own safety, and bearing witness to some of the most tragic moments of their careers for over a year and a half now. They are beyond burned out. And we keep seeing story after story come out of their added frustration now that so much of the illness and death could be prevented. A new study released by the CDC on Tuesday showed that unvaccinated people are 29 times more likely to be hospitalized with COVID-19 than people who are fully vaccinated. And later that same day, Maria von Kirchhoff from the WHO said that misinformation is a major driver of COVID continuing to spread around the world. With hospital beds filling up and so many of those with people who chose not to get vaccinated, it's driving healthcare workers to, well, smash plates against the wall. 
And back in Oregon, they've seen a 50% increase in hospitalized COVID-19 patients compared to last year when there wasn't even a vaccine yet. And I know I'm preaching to the choir on this one, but dang, I mean, if you're able to help out with vaccine efforts to help folks who genuinely haven't been able to get it yet and want to, or have been on the fence and who you can talk to, please do. In fact, there was a great write-up in the Washington Post earlier this week about a Facebook group that's actually been incredibly successful at dispelling misinformation and convincing the hesitant to get vaccinated. The group is called Vaccine Talk, and it's an open forum for both pro-vaccine and anti-vaccine individuals to have evidence-based discussions. Though they do keep pretty strict moderation and community guidelines, for one, you have to provide a citation within 24 hours for any claim that you make in the group. And the result is that many vaccine-hesitant people check out the page and, over time, see that more solid evidence and logic is coming from the pro-vaccine folks. But crucially, they're given the time and grace to get there themselves without being pressured in one way or the other. Which is honestly super impressive, as quoting the Washington Post, a recent survey by Rutgers University found that people who get their news primarily from Facebook were less likely to be vaccinated than any other group of news consumers, end quote. But, quoting further, research also supports the idea that social media can be a force for pro-vaccine persuasion under the right circumstances. A forthcoming study from researchers at the MIT Sloan School of Management, which has not yet been peer-reviewed, found that people on the fence about vaccination can be swayed by learning that others around them are getting vaccinated. And a 2020 study by health misinformation researchers Emily Vrega of the University of Minnesota and Letitia Bode of Georgetown University showed that social media users who rebut misleading claims with factual information may not persuade the original poster, but can influence the beliefs of others who witness the exchanges, end quote. And for the record, Wendy King, an associate professor in the Department of Epidemiology at the University of Pittsburgh, told the Washington Post that people who are concerned about safety are easier to convince than people who don't trust the government or medical authorities. The former have probably been seeking out information and unfortunately finding a lot of the misinformation swirling around, but they're genuinely concerned about their health or that of their kids or their parents. So eventually countering with correct facts and listening to their concerns can work. All of this is a lot of work, though, and not everyone is going to be receptive to it. We all need to be doing what we can, but if you also need to take a break to pop on some safety goggles and throw a plate at the wall, well, so long as you save one for me, too. You know how oftentimes startups are just, like, reinventing the wheel? You know, like when Lyft introduced Lyft Shuttle, their innovative new idea of a shared vehicle operating on a fixed route. Like, dude, that's just a bus. And sometimes these companies do have genuinely new takes on an old concept. And sometimes they literally just make it worse. Like, if you were to actually reinvent the wheel, the worst thing that you could do would be to make the wheel a square. Well, a new startup has done that to food. Have you ever been eating dinner and thought, yeah, this is great, but I really wish my entree and sides were all the same size and shape. Maybe identical rounded squares? Well, Square Eat heard you and are here with a weekly meal delivery service that's exactly that. Food in the form of identically sized rounded squares. 
As the company's deck spread around the internet this week, people had trouble figuring out if it was for real. But according to the company's chief marketing officer, Maria Laura Vecaflores, who spoke to the Today Show and the over $150,000 they've raised in funding on WeFunder, it absolutely is. Quoting Today, the Miami-based company Square Eat uses processes like low-temperature cooking and thermal shocking to turn foods like chicken, beef, broccoli, rice, and more into pre-cooked 50-gram square patties. The small squares are designed to be consumed in either four- or six-piece meals, four-piece meal boxes from sweet break, chocolate pancakes, to Mediterranean, sea bass, asparagus, and zucchini, range in price from $5.50 to $7.99. Once delivered, the squares stay fresh for two weeks or more and can be eaten cold or prepared in a variety of ways, including sautéed in oil, air-fried, or warmed in the microwave. End quote. And one of the big things that the company is trying to clear up is that these aren't meal replacements. The foods that make up the squares are the actual foods. The chicken is just chicken. The sweet potato is just sweet potato. Albeit they do come spiced, but Square Eat insists they're 100% natural ingredients. It's just how they're prepared, that thermal shocking process that gives them their strange futuristic appearance. But my biggest question is why? I mean, sure, it looks kind of cool, but what is the advantage of the square? As best as I can figure it out from reading several articles ranging from bewildered to scathing, Square Eat says that the shape makes it easier to mass-produce their gourmet techniques so that they can make high-quality food more affordable. Alright, sure. And also, they say, since the process keeps the square patties good for a couple of weeks, they don't have to deliver the food as often as other meal delivery services, so that cuts down on carbon emissions. A big factor also appears to be the convenience. You don't have to cook anything, just heat up the squares with the little packet of olive oil they come with. They're pre-spiced and everything, so they taste delicious pretty much right out of the box, allegedly. And in that way, I see these appealing to the kinds of people who want to get their calories and nutrients in as easily a way as possible. And you know, someone who chugs Soylent or Huel would definitely get an upgrade in taste and diversity by switching to Square Eat. So I guess for that audience, it does make a lot of sense. But convincing others who are happy to cook and enjoy eating food in multiple shapes, it might be a tough sell. Despite absolutely roasting Square Eat online, most people do admit that they're really curious and at least want to see what one is like in real life, even if they don't want to subscribe long term, or have this become the normal way that food is produced and consumed. Now, sadly, to that point, the squares are not for sale just yet. They'll be sold locally in Miami, Florida first, and the company hopes to expand across the U.S. as soon as possible after that. So we'll just have to wait a while longer to try these, as one Twitter user described them, little Minecraft meals. So I learned of a site this morning via Ryan Broderick's Garbage Day newsletter called HowIExperienceWebToday.com. It was created by developer Gyeonggi Lee, and it's a stripped-down version of what it's like trying to read an article online, beginning with searching a topic and then clicking through to the website and being bombarded by a million different notifications, pop-ups, and paywall blockers. As someone who opens dozens of articles a day to write this show, it is a pain I know excruciatingly well. 
The site is really cleanly designed, despite the horror that it's illustrating. Broderick's friend Alan, who shared it with him, called it, quote, an amazing indictment of the web in 2021. And indeed, it is. Give it a try yourself, howiexperiencewebtoday.com, link in the show notes. But that is it from me for today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kaki.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again tomorrow. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.